How many of you have heard of the Curse of Oak Island? Let me see that. Know that TV show? All right. I go to a lot of places. People ask me a lot of questions about it. Well, Curse of Oak Island, a TV reality show, really, started about 10 years ago, maybe 2014. And it's off the shore of Nova Scotia, off of Lunenburg County there. There's an island. It's connected with a causeway. Just a road field. They filled in, made a road to it. And it's become quite popular. It's actually been popular long before the reality show and, and writings that you would see. Basically back, some, all kinds of theories. Now, what I'm telling you is just theory. All kinds of theories about Oak Island regarding the treasure that's supposedly buried there. Uh, there have been stories written way back that even in the late 1700s that Captain Kidd, who only lived in the early 1700s, had buried his treasure there, or someone had buried his treasure there in, in, in Oak Island. Some of you know the story already, don't you? Okay. And, he, and they, have, they have found some uh, archaeological items there, and, but very few, and they have spent no doubt millions and millions of dollars on this, on this digging that takes place, it seems like, and the TV show, which really the TV show has helped them fund the diggings, I'm sure. And it continues and continues, but it's intriguing just to see, well, will they find it now? You know how the shows go, right? Will they find it today? And they'll find a little piece, and then they'll hold you in suspense and find another little piece. And, and that's all about Oak Island, the treasure of Oak Island. There have been fictions written in the books, of fiction written about it, and so on and so forth. And so it's quite interesting when you look at it. And sometimes it takes people over, and they can't miss a show, and it's just they just got to know what's going on in Oak Island. Well, there may be a treasure there. They have one spot they call the Money Pit. I mean, it's for the show anyway. And it, there may be treasure somewhere there. Who knows what they'll find if they find anything there. But there's a great craze about this treasure that might be there. But the Bible tells us that there is treasure for sure that God has available for you and me just for the asking. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 to 7, it describes this treasure. The treasure indeed is the gospel light of the Lord Jesus Christ that has been put in earthen vessels. That's what verse number 7 tells us there. I'm jumping ahead, but it says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Now, that's me and you. We're the earthen vessels. We are the clay and God is the potter. And he begins to shape our lives and he begins to work in our hearts and he begins to expose us to that treasure. I hope all who are here today have heard about the treasure the treasure that contains the gospel light of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that was a heartbeat of the Apostle Paul. That's what he saw that day when he reached out by faith and responded to God's call. And he began a, became a child of God there on the road to Damascus. And God began to use him in writing the scriptures. And he began to talk about God's calling in his life. And Yes, he has already prayed. He had to do a lot of things to put food on his table. And he was a tent maker and so forth. But he had his eyes set on God himself first and foremost. Can you imagine what society would be like today if everybody set their eyes on God first? 
It would, it would be absolutely life-changing for the whole world. But sadly, there are so few that are focused on God. And ask God, Lord, what do you want my life to be? And what do you want me to do in my life? The gospel obviously was given to us early in the New Testament. You read about God loving the world so much that He gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth on Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's what the gospel treasure does. It gives us everlasting life. It gives us the assurance of eternal life with the Lord in Jesus Christ. When we come by faith and know we're a sinner and know that only the blood of Jesus can pay for our sin that He did on the old rugged cross so that we could have eternal hope, that we could have eternal privilege with God forever and ever through Jesus. That's the only way we can get there, the Bible says. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So this great message, this gospel treasure, now can be put in earthen vessels when we come by faith and receive what God has done for us. I'm so glad He loved us. There are a lot of people who ever heard about God's love. It's hard to believe that in a world that many have access to the Internet, but a lot of people have some knowledge, but oftentimes they've had no one step in their path and share with them how God's treasure changed their life. And they personally share that with someone else. Guaranteed that if we discover treasure on Oak Island or anywhere else in this world, we would be running all over the place telling people about it, wouldn't we? I, I found this and I found that and I found this. Man, this, I've looked this up and this is valuable. We'd be talking about it everywhere. You know what? We should be talking about our relationship with God more than we ever would any earthly treasure. Do you agree with that? so that people can know there is value, eternal value, in this treasure, the gospel that's been given to us. And we want them to experience it too. We want them to experience that relationship as well. The Apostle Paul here in this chapter is saying, therefore, therefore, based on all that he said before about the gospel and about the truth, you can read it for yourselves even there in... Um, Chapter 3, talking about the epistle that's been written in our hearts. And he says, therefore, in light of all this wonderful truth, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. Here in this particular chapter, I want you to think about three words. I won't take a long time this morning. But there are three words I want you to notice in these few verses. I want you to notice God's mercy... God's message, and God's ministry. All of us, if we've come by faith, have experienced the mercy of God. The Apostle Paul, I believe, said we have this ministry as we have received mercy because he's reflecting back on the day that God was merciful to him. The Bible says a lot about mercy. It says in the Psalms, Psalm 85, mercy and truth are met together. The two blind men there in Matthew chapter 20 who sat there by the road and watched Jesus come by, they said to him, have mercy on us. The psalmist in Psalm 86 said, for thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive. Lord, you're good and you're ready to forgive and you're plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. God is merciful. 
This world needs to know about our merciful God. We need to experience our merciful God. It's God's favor upon us. The result of God's mercy is really peace. You know, in the Bible, it talks about peace with God, and it talks about the peace of God. Peace with God is when we finally establish that relationship through Christ and we have peace with God. There are a lot of people in this world that are scared to die. You know that? Take their last breath, whether they're late teens, as I've done a couple of funerals for late teens, died in vehicle accidents, had the whole, whole life ahead of him. Never made it at 21. Whether they be like those or they be people who have lived longer, whatever the case may be, they finally made peace with God. All of us have to make peace with God. And there's also the peace of God. Whenever we come to Christ, there's peace with God. And the peace of God is for every one of us who know Christ today. And we have to have that from the Lord on a regular basis, really daily. The peace of God that passes all understanding. Lord, I don't understand this. I don't know this trial. I don't know why it's happening. But I want the peace of God today. I'm so glad that the Lord Jesus, as he was talking to the disciples who were a bit worried, but Jesus was talking about leaving this earth. They had developed a relationship with him. And Jesus said to them, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. John 14, 27. That's the peace of God. That's what comes out of the relationship, regardless of our decision-making, the difficulties we face, and the hurdles, and, and the barriers, and absolute moments that just drive us down to our knees. Only the peace of God can lift us up and restore that closest to the Lord where our eyes are looking, focusing as best we can on the Lord himself. That's the peace of God. I pray today you have the peace with God by coming and accepting Jesus as Savior. And I pray that you're working on the peace of God as we all do every day, trying to establish that kind of relationship. There's mercy for the sinner's salvation, but there's also mercy for the servant's service. And by that I mean what I just said. In our daily life, we need more of God's mercy. We need every day God to come and help us. Do you remember Lamentations? Lamentations in the Old Testament is really a book written by Jeremiah after he had struggled with God's people, the Jews, for all those years, through all the chapters of the book of Jeremiah, many of them anyway. He's, he's just talking and pleading with them, preaching to them, trying to get them to respond, and Judah just would not respond. And his heart was broken. And he begins to write in the book of Lamentations, and he the first chapter or so in Lamentations are very hard to read. It's very depressing. It's discouraging, honestly. But then when you get to chapter 3, after he has struggled through this with God and, 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 and cries, that's what Lamentations means, crying out before the Lord. We've all done that at some point in our life, have we not? Then he goes on in verse 22 and he says, This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. It's like there was no hope. God, I preached all these years and they won't listen. But this I recall in my mind, so I have hope. And he goes on in verse 22 to say, It is of the Lord's mercies. It is of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. 
that I'm not done yet. It, it's really that I, it's, if it wasn't for God's mercies, I'd be done. That's really what he's saying there. Because his compassions fail not. Maybe all of us in this room know this passage. But you know what? It goes way beyond my knowledge of the passage. I have to go to the truth of the passage often. Knowing that God's compassions never fail. Going to many other passages, knowing he'll never leave me nor forsake me because his mercies are enduring right into his presence for all eternity. They never fail. Sometimes we don't see them played out like we would like them played out. But his mercies guaranteed don't fail. In verse 23, it even makes it clearer. They are new every morning. We get up with a fresh bunch of mercies, if you will. That's good for that day. Now, all of us sometimes want to live tomorrow today, don't we? If you're like me, you like to plan, you like to like know what's going on a week from now. <laughs> then, yeah, and that, those are, that's the weak side sometimes of not always going just right, right? But we need, we need fresh mercies from the Lord every day. Lord, help me live today for today, and, and I'll plan for tomorrow. If tomorrow doesn't turn out, give me sufficient mercy to handle it. But Lord, give me the mercies I need for today. And help me focus on the day. And he, he says, really, in that, as another statement of fact, right after they are new every morning, great is thy faithfulness. You know the song. So there's mercy for the serving sinner, if you would, the one who's been saved. There's mercy for us. It's ongoing. And then he went on to say, the Lord is my portion. If God's not your portion this morning, if Christ is not your Savior, that's the first step you take. Establish that relationship. And then you can walk from there out of that time with the Lord and, and coming to, and believing in His Son and saying every day, the Lord is my portion today. I may feel like He may not be around me, but He's right here because He's promised it. We couldn't go to the mission field if we didn't believe the Lord was our portion. Because in ourselves, as I already said, we can accomplish nothing. It only has to be the Lord. You, wherever you are in this world, I pray that you'll want to be that testimony of Jesus. you want to share the gospel treasure. And you can't do it unless, one, we have an awareness of God every day when we get up. And the awareness of God will come through the reading of the Word of God every day when we get up. And you begin to search the Scriptures and, and you begin to ask the Spirit of God to teach you from this passage. Start in the Psalms or wherever you want to start. And began to know God. It's an awareness of His presence. And then we'll, after God shakes us a bit, because maybe we got out of focus for a while, He'll bring us back to who He is. He'll remind us of His strength. He'll remind us of His mercies. He'll remind us of His compassions and how faithful He is. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul, therefore will I hope in Him. That's the rest of that verse in Lamentations 3.24. It sounds like Jeremiah is a little different here than he was in the first chapter. Don't read it now, but definitely different. Verse 25, the Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation. That's the deliverance of the Lord. Verse 32, but though he cause grief, Yet will he have compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. 
multitude of mercies, never ending. I'm so thankful that Paul experienced what it meant to have the mercy of the Lord. That's why when he said, as we have received this mercy, we faint not. The word faint there has, has the idea of being a coward. Who wants to be a coward? We don't want to be a coward. Run away. Quit. We don't want to maybe a dozen times a day, but uh, we just can't. We don't want to faint because he brings us back into his presence where we're understanding more about who he is and more about his mercies and more about his compassion and more about his faithfulness. How can we ever quit? Paul said, I, I won't quit. I won't go down to the coward level. It means to bend your knee in the sense of being a coward. You can't be a coward. And he says, but we've done something else besides just not fainting. We've decided, I've decided, in verse 2 he says, that I'm going to renounce the hidden things of dishonesty. Perhaps all the translations have it different. Let me give you what the word is in the original. It means to deny or refuse those hidden things that are shameful. That's what it means. To deny and refuse those things in this world that are shameful, that are condemned by God, that, that separate you, even as a believer, momentarily with the fellowship of your God. They separate us. I don't mean for eternity. I mean we're just out of fellowship. Maybe that day. He says, we're going to renounce those things. We're going to deny. We're going to refuse those things. But by manifestation of the truth. By the way, there's the message as well. I'm, going, I'm jumping around in the outline so you can get it all this morning. The truth. Commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. He understood the mercy. And the mercy led him to say, no, no, no. That doesn't look like God. That doesn't please God. No. Whatever it is. No. I'm denying it. I'm refusing it. Because he didn't want shameful things in his life. He wanted to be unashamed of the gospel of Christ, which is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth. Right? Romans 1.16. Unashamed of this treasure that we'd be going around telling everybody about if we had been a million dollars we dug up. Treasure. He goes on, and I'll go quickly. If our gospel be hid, that's the message. It's hid to them that are lost. God has a, a mission for us. Do not hide the gospel. Not let it just be inside the church doors. But that we go out with the gospel treasure Open the box, open the Bible, open the treasure, and say, here it is. I discovered this at a certain point in my life. I understood I was a sinner. I understood who Jesus was. I mean, you're doing it in a kind way, right? But you know, that's what we do. And here's the treasure. Here's the treasure. The God of this world is the devil, right? Verse 4. And he's tried to blind the minds of people who believe not. Why? So the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine in them. He doesn't want that great big floodlight, the gospel light, that's this treasure from God, to shine down on them, this world. 
That's what the devil does not want to happen. So he wants to try to take all the workforce of God, either make them faint, uh, make them ashamed, uh, make them not bold for sure, whatever he can do to blind the world from knowing the greatest treasure they could ever experience in life, the gospel of Christ. And he works hard to do it. He works hard in us believers to do that. And all in the world with the ungodly of, of our society. He works hard at that. But I'm thankful still, when you are too, that greater is he that's in us than he that's in this world. But the God of this world, the devil, is still much at work. Paul reminded the hearers that for we preach not ourselves. I tell our staff at camp this, and this is very important passage also for them being servants in the summer. We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. I make them go through the motions. I don't care if they're 25. They're going to do it anyway. <laughs> ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. Ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. That's living the Christian life, is it not? Serving people. And Paul said that's what we're going to do. It's going to be all about Jesus. Verse 6. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, praise the Lord he did, because Proverbs says those that are walking around in darkness, they're stumbling and they don't know where they're going. They can't find truth. They can't find anything. They're just like stumbling around as an unbeliever. They may be the president of the United States, but they're still stumbling around, whoever that would be in that office at that time, if they don't know the truth. They don't know Jesus. They're still stumbling around. For God who commanded the light to shine has shined in our hearts Remember that day you got saved? It's good to think about your day you trusted Christ, by the way. You go back often and think about the day when you understood Calvary and what it meant in your life. To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. I drew a line from that one phrase, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, down to verse 7, and I parked it on the word treasure. Because that's what he's talking about here. The treasure is the light of of the knowledge of the glory of God. Through salvation, God opened up that light source, Jesus who's the light, and showed us our sinfulness, showed us our needs, showed us the, the Savior of the world that came for all of us, might seek and save those that are lost, which is you and me. And he just opened it up. And we, we've got this much understanding as we have this morning. That's it. We know enough to be saved, we know enough to try to get to know the Lord, but it's, it's this treasure that he's put in us earthen vessels. Why would God ever do that? See if I could just send an angel down or some other way of getting the gospel out. But he wanted to put it into earthen vessels. Do you know what earthen vessels are? They're, they're frail, they're weak, they had a potential to break. That's what earthen vessels are. Tap it a little bit too hard and but God chose to put the gospel treasure in you and me by faith. So the whole challenge here in this passage, he did it that way, and here's why, the last phrase, that the excellency of the power, the power of the gospel, the deliverance of the gospel may be of God and not ourselves, not of us. As we go out and continue ministering in Nova Scotia, only what's done for God will last. Only what's done by God through us will last.
And God does a lot of things without us. Because God's doing His work by the Holy Spirit who's reaching into these lives. A year ago, in the fall, I've been praying for some time of a man who cut my hair. He cut too much off, as you can see, but anyway. man had been cutting my hair. My wife always asked, why do you still drive an hour and a half away to get your hair cut? Well, I do it two or three times a year, but, and uh, I just kept going over there. Last fall, the guy had been cutting my hair since the first few days I was in Nova Scotia and, and lived there in 1984, really. Hard to believe, isn't it? He was a young man. I was a young man. He's several years older than me at the time. I just, I just, I heard that he had gone into the hospital. I actually went over there, I guess, to get my hair cut, and it was closed on the door. I wondered about it. Came back, began to inquire. I found out he was in the hospital. And so I, I know some of his relatives. The relatives come to our camp, and they're the only saved ones in that extended family, as I understood. So I went over to see him in the hospital. We were back over there, an hour and a half away. And I walk in there and begin to talk to Joe. His wife was nearby. Unfortunately, no one else was there and no bothering him. He had a complete Catholic background in every way. And I talked to him that day, and I said, Joe, after we chatted for a bit, I gave him the gospel again. I'd given him the track, the story behind Amazing Grace, one of the tracks, main track, really, that I give out everywhere, the story behind Amazing Grace. I'd given that to him many times over the years. And he said, yes, I remember. He said, I've got it in my cash drawer, my cash register drawer. He, keep, he kept it there all the time, there in his barbershop. And, and after he said that, I thought, maybe the Lord, every time, maybe he opened that cash drawer to give somebody their change, he would see that track about amazing grace. The amazing grace that could save his soul. And after I gave Joe the gospel, I just asked him a simple question. I said, Joe, he didn't have long to live, just a short time. I said, Joe, would you like to see, receive Jesus Christ as your Savior today? Tears came into his eyes. He said, yes, I would. Before I'd talk to him there in the chair, and no, he wasn't interested. He just, you know, kind of go off on a different subject. and He, he was interested. That day, he was interested. That day, he prayed and asked Christ to save him. He didn't have long on this earth as a believer, about six weeks. And he was with Jesus. But I'm thankful he is. I'm thankful he is. The treasure is valuable. It's a message that would change a life. But not just life on this earth. It changes a life for eternity. Let me ask you this morning, one, do you have the treasure? Have you received the gospel, received Jesus as your Savior? And if you have, God has put that earthen treasure in you now, that, that, that godly treasure in you as an earthen vessel. Are we sharing that great news about the treasure? We want to send missionaries out, that's glorious. But has, some, has God put someone in your path that maybe you can give a gospel track to? Someone you can share about the day you got saved? That's really what the rest of this book is all about, isn't it? May God help us to just be who he wants us to be 
in Christ and deliver this great trade.